0: This is beautiful people, the vidcast for friends of Big Country. My name is Dwayne. It's been a while since I've been around, but uh, we are back now, and uh, hopefully we can get back into the swing of it. But to help me do that, I am joined by uh, a man that uh, many of us know quite well, but we're going to get to know him a little bit better. It's Alan Bartels. How you doing, Alan? Well, hello, Dwayne, or do I say good day to someone? Say good You say good day. But I'm I didn't yet know to it. come across a non-Australian who can say that right. You've got to <laughs> kind of let it roll together. G'day. It's one word, Very. not
1: two words. So from Tasmania, is the term a
0: Tassie? A Tassie? Um, I live in Tassie, so that's, so that's the shortened version of the state, but Tasmanian, always a Tasmanian. Okay.
1: Always Tasmanian, not yeah. a Tasmaniac. Got it. Very good.
0: Well, it's great to meet you,
1: Dwayne. You know, I've seen you for, for so long. I've, this is, it's great to meet you virtually. I guess this is the only way
0: any of us meet anyone right now, but it's good to meet you virtually. That's right. I was very happy to get to the States earlier in the year to see mm-hmm. big country over on the, on the West Coast. Um, you had no opportunity to see them there? No, I didn't.
1: Um, I sure, I'd sure planned to, and even the cruise that they were doing. So, But now I missed the chance. Not knowing this was coming, I thought I was going to get another chance.
0: Yeah, well, I think the the chance the chance was that you were going to get to see them again, um, but that was before everything turned to poo. Yeah,
1: that's one way of saying it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, um, so tell us a bit about you. Where are you, and 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 what have you been doing through the pandemic? You've been surviving okay.
1: I am doing okay, as well as anyone. I mean, I think we're all getting cabin fever at this point. So, I'm an American. I live uh, in close by Washington, D.C. Um, basically on the Maryland side of DC as opposed to like those of you know that like Thomas and Joni who live over on the Virginia side of DC. So we're, we're quite a ways drive around from each other but um, I'm there in the in the DC area. The town's called Annapolis. It's where the uh, U.S. Naval Academy is baseline. So um, I live out and you can see my little cabin out in the woods, my house in the woods as it will. Um, and I do work for NASA. Uh, We've mentioned that. So Um, I've, um, NASA actually has, uh, 12 different centers. People think of NASA as just one big organization, but I work at a center that's on the Maryland side and we build, um, spacecraft. So I oversee the design, testing, launching and operations of spacecraft. My particular specialty is planetary missions. So I've worked on missions to Mercury, the moon, um, Mars, um, uh, the asteroid belt, near earth asteroids. There was one that was just in the news a couple of weeks ago called Os- osiris rex that grabbed an asteroid sample um i'd worked on that for nine years and um now i'm working on a spacecraft that goes to the outer solar system to do asteroid flyby is kind of like the the pictures of pluto you may have seen a few years ago and then i've got a couple of missions in development too one that has a probe going to the surface of venus and one that is um going to mars to find the uh hopefully the the landing site for the first human settlement in mars so um it's, it's been a great career.
0: We've we we've wrecked this planet, so let's go and wreck
1: another one, eh? That's one way of looking at it. That's one way of looking at it. <laughs> I'm Very really difficult to save the
0: one we're on. <laughs> I'm really disappointed that um that, that Pluto is is no longer a planet. Is that right? That's true.
1: That's true. It's it was quite a bit of controversy. I blame a guy named Neil deGrasse Tyson, who was the one who championed this. Um, I have a lot of friends that are um, co- colleagues who are on the Pluto should always be a planet tip. But, you know, what we are learning is beyond Pluto, there are so many more things that are Pluto size or even bigger. And um, it was a huge controversy
0: within the astronomy community. But the anti-Plutonians seem to have won the day for now. So how did you get into this kind of work in the first place? It's a fascinating, I think you probably got one of the most fascinating roles of any big country fan that uh, that I know.
1: <laughs> well, it sounds sexy. It's, um, there's a lot of administrative work with it as well. It's, it's, sometimes it's just another government job. But, um, you know, honestly, I don't remember a time when I wasn't fascinated with space. Um, I was, when the Apollo moon landings happened, I was ages four to seven. And that's an incredibly formative time for a young person. So I don't really remember a time when I wasn't just absolutely fascinated with space. Growing up, it didn't seem like, you know, a kid that came from my background, but actually be able to get into that field. It always seemed like a very distant dream. but Um, I've been very blessed, very fortunate.
0: So some, some may know that I'm a bit of a sci-fi fan myself. Uh, what about yourself? Are you a sci-fi fan too, or is that just too, you like to stay in reality?
1: Actually, I was a huge sci-fi fan growing up. You know, uh, Star Trek was, uh, now Star Trek, Star Wars, I don't know which side of that fence you fall on, but um, I was definitely a huge Star Trek fan and Star Wars fan later growing up. So yeah, anything sci-fi pulls me in still. Although I have to blame that part of it for all the work I've done on Venus. You know, all the work we did on sci-fi when we were young always said that the planets were these amazing places were filled with filled with lush forests and beautiful women. And it turns out that these planets aren't anything like that, but it's very disappointing, but still the romance is still there for me.
0: <laughs> uh, I, I actually don't fall on either side of that camp. I'm Dr. Who myself. So the, oh, you are. Yeah. Wow. So which, which who is your, who? Uh, probably your doctor? because they repeated them so regularly through throughout my childhood, I got to see older ones, like from the early seventies when I was, just born and before I was born Mm -hmm. I got to see them in my around when I was around 10 my early teens so probably the third third and fourth doctors from the 70s Uh, that's my era yeah yeah, but I but I like them all so yeah I'm a little a little bit obsessed my wife tells me but uh anyway that's enough of that I could I could talk uh for quite a while on that subject but let's go back to you Uh what about uh what about you where did you grow up and And did you have any musical influences that sort of started leading you in a direction towards big country?
1: Yeah, it's a long meandering story, but I'll see if I can keep it a little contained. So I grew up in a very musical family, but they were also a very, very religious Pentecostal family. So we had very little secular vocal music around the house of rock and country and R&B, but they had thousands of albums, literally, and had every other kind of music. Um, So from... um, uh, that You know, and, and going back in my family, each of the generations before had been amateur musicians on their own. So we had all sorts of um, jazz and swing and country and Western and Zydeco and opera and Symphonic music, even circus calliope music, and I just listened to it all because I was an only child that lived out in the out in the. Usually, we lived in remote areas, and so that was the main entertainment we had, you know. And so I just absorbed that for years and years and years until I was able to save up enough money to get my own radio, and my own, you know, my own stereo with um, with my own headphones, and then kind of opened up all the new vistas. So uh, we were living in the uh, we lived all over the West. My my parents moved around a lot; they were kind of free spirits. Back in the 70s, people did that. Um, but most of my childhood was in the Pacific Northwest, before moving to Colorado. And um, when I was first able to pick up American Top 40 with Casey Kasem, that became my Sunday service. Because, you know, you could go back in those days where when you couldn't afford things, you would take your boombox, you'd put in the blank cassette, and you'd hit record. And and I would listen to those over and over. In the, so, and also picked up Motown at the time. And I loved Motown because that seemed like sort of a logical extension of what I was... Um, you know, had been hearing, um, you know, on the gospel side. So if you will, sort of the temptations and Stevie wonder were sort of gateway drugs into the hard stuff of, um, the Ohio players and, um, you know, parliament and funkadelic and the Commodores back when they only let Lionel Ritchie play the sax, they wouldn't let him sing, you know? So those were, those were, I was a very unlikely soul and funk fan for, for quite a while. Um, and then uh, we moved to Colorado and, uh, also again up in the mountains and probably the big change for me that led me into the skids because i've actually been a fan since the skids was if you this is probably before your time but the first really big new wave hit in the u.s was a song called pop music by a guy named m robin scott it was a very weird number one song to have on the pop charts but i was fascinated by it i thought it was creative as hell so i used to listen to it quite a bit and it turned out that in the denver area there was um a public television station that was almost no better than public access, almost like a Wayne's world sort of thing. And before MTV was even out, they ran a video show um, at night that was all British and Irish and other you know, European um, Indian new wave bands. And it was just amazing. So flipping through one time, I saw the video for pop music and then that got me hooked on just watching these, this. I, I would watch it every night. And again, like I said, this was before there was even MTV. And so um, that was my gateway there into craftwork. Um, I love craftwork. Devo, Adam and the Ants, some um, Depeche Mode, all of that. And the, you know, for all the kids who grew up in the Denver area that had any sort of alternative leanings, you always watch Teletunes every night. And a little bonus for you, their theme song at least later on was always King Crimson's Elephant Talk. That was always their, their starting point for each night. But um, so most of those bands that I mentioned, you know, they were all sort of synthesizer heavy kind of, so very melodic, very interesting, very quirky, each more interesting than the than the last. Um, but, you know, there weren't many guitar-ish bands at that point. And so I did have a brief flirtation with English Beat and Stray Cats, loving both of those. But for some reason, this particular station played a lot of skids videos and so you know they were sort of more the acerbic guitar end of that new wavy spectrum and so um you know in that little region in denver there was a whole there was a whole generation of kids that grew up listening to into the valley the saints are coming um working for the yankee dollar they even go deeper in some of the top of the pops performances i think they had of one skin and women in winter and you know charade and scared to dance it was really amazing so that was sort of my um my, my greatest hits of the Skids was every time the video would come on, I'd go and hit record again still because I still couldn't afford to buy stuff at the time. So I always missed the first two seconds of every Skid song. But at the end, I had my little 45-minute Maxell tape that was my Skids greatest hits album. And uh, that brought me for quite a while uh, until now back then. I didn't know when the Skids up and when Stewart left and so there was another radio show on the local college town in Boulder Colorado that was called Rock Over London and in this would have been spring of 83 they they first played they played Fields of Fire maybe Angle Park but I remember Fields of Fire before the album came out and first off that's how I heard that the skids had broken up because otherwise you didn't know that sort of thing out where I was. And uh, then, you know, when it, when it first time I heard Fields of Fire, then I was absolutely hooked. You know, that was the age where you can hear one song by one band and say, well, that's my favorite band. And so they, they were my favorite band. And so I eagerly awaited um, when the, when the crossing came out, um, Blue Sleeve, Blue Sleeve is the only blue sleeve we had in my area. So, and that was the first album that I bought both the um, cassette and vinyl for, you know, it's, um, if I if I'd have taken another path, I could have turned into John Gouveia, who buys one of everything. It seems like, but um, but then that brought me into Big Country.
0: Excellent, excellent. So you're from from the very very beginning. Um, I just want to go back to um, a little band that you mentioned that I got quite obsessed with at one point too, and that's Craftwork. Um, uh, have you got a particular favorite album of theirs? Uh, probably Man Machine.
1: Although Computer World was the one that was out when they were first. They had that video for Pocket Calculator that, they, that that station played over and over and over. So it took me a little while to go back and be able to pick up Man Machine. But I have actually loved all of it. I'm a huge bike racing fan. So I listened to Tour de France for for way more often than I probably should have. But Yeah, those are very i intoxic- have never heard anything like that in my life. And so since then I you know I learned a little bit more about Noi and you know Can and other crowd rock bands, but Asterisk, but um, nothing's ever quite matched Kraftwerk. In terms of just the newness, the 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 strangeness of them was was mesmerizing to me, especially a nerdy kid like me. I mean, they could take their pocket calculator and play a song on it. That was that was
0: amazing. Well, you mentioned Can, that's probably as close as I've got to uh, meeting someone from Craftwork because we, we you, you remember uh, the four album can albums in the early '70s with Damo Suzuki, the Japanese fella, mm-hmm. as the mm-hmm. singer. Um, he was actually appearing in Tasmania uh, a few years back, and when I was doing my radio show, Damo decided he he agreed to come in to the studio with us and do uh, uh, a two hour show with us. So that was wow. very very cool, and we got to see him live. He, was touring live doing a, a thing called Damo Suzuki's network where he'd meet up with bands wherever he went, put bands together and he would do improv um, and just go nuts. Wow! Um, so those shows wow. were absolutely fantastic. That's about as close as uh, how many steps away from craftwork is that two or three, but um, yeah, only, only one of that. Flor- Florian Schneider, he died this year, didn't he?
1: He did. He did. He only was my favorite. Months ago? Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So yeah, I got into craft work with, um, in a big way in their when they released their album Electric Cafe. I think they've renamed oh, sure. it now. They've renamed it Techno Pop now, but it was called Electric Cafe when it was when it was out. So it's probably their least critically acclaimed album because it, hmm. they, it gets accused of being a bit behind the times in 1986. But um, I, I used to love the video clip for the Telephone Call, and oh, of course. Uh, the the lyrics <laughs> for that were they always made me giggle and uh so from there i went back and i probably like trans europe express probably uh, probably my sure. favorite craft sure. but anyway we digress let's um let's go back to to big countries so so how old were you in in 83 when when you first got 18. those crossing albums
1: uh, 18 it came out the crossing came out right as i was graduating high school so it was a great transition into adulthood
0: excellent what a fantastic time of life to to hear big country for the first time did you did you get a chance to see them uh perform when they they were in the states ever uh
1: well actually yeah so um but not the first couple of go-rounds i saw them on the on the buffalo skinners tour and got to meet the band and speak to Stuart for quite a while then um at soundcheck I'll, i'll tell you a little bit more about that later and then i saw the journey tour five times um so six times total but only once with the original lineup and uh it was it was um yeah, it, I still say that the, the Buffalo Skinners show was the best club show I still have ever seen in my life. It was absolutely amazing. Um, the You know, at that point, I had just really had a resurgence back to really liking them because I'd sort of taken a time out with No Place Like Home. and um, But then when I um, caught back up to that a year or two after it was released, then um, I was really on, on point for Buffalo Skinners when it came out. And I thought Buffalo Skinners was fantastic. So when they were playing, they played... No, they weren't big in the U.S. by that point. They kind of, um, you know, they were stepping down to more of a cult status. And they booked a gig in a little town outside of Denver at a bar called the Buffalo Rose. It was only there because of Buffalo. I'm sure it had nothing to do with the band. They didn't typically have rock acts. It was a biker bar with pool tables in the back. And, um, but I was damned and determined I was going to see them. So I got there that minute the bar opened. I took off from work. That day and um, I was there it, you know when at 11 in the morning because I was going to get my spot and try to meet the band and um, got to meet them before sound check and um, then was there while they did their sound check and got to talk to Stewart afterwards um, one of the first times I'd really met one of my heroes musical heroes and to really have just an honest you know one on one conversation at an extended period was um, really really amazing. It's, you know, there are a few conversations you will remember the whole life your whole life. And that's one of them for me, just because I think that was so impressionable at that time, but they, they'd done no promotion at this venue for the, for, for, um, big country. So when they came out that night, there was, um, maybe, 50 people there to see Big Country, and there were about another 30 playing pool in the back who were just, you know, they happened to be the house band for the night was Big Country, and they weren't even there to see Big Country. And then when uh, so when Big Country took the stage, I was absolutely right at the foot of the stage on the monitor on st- right in front of Stuart, and um, I heard them talking to each other a little bit, and, and I, this is paraphrasing, they said something about like, it's not the fault of the people who came, let's give them a show. And they went straight into um, All Go Together just as, uh, just like thunder. And lightning, it was amazing, and that that show they put out more energy for 50 people than I've seen other bands put out for thousands of people. It was, it was really something to see. Um, I I'd probably had a couple more beers than I needed to at that point because I'd been there since 11 in the morning too. But so I was the the highlight of that the highlight of my life to that point was. See, I hadn't seen them live, and so I hadn't realized how they reworked Wonderland with guitar solo parts and Wonderland, and so. Um, when, when they got to the solo part of Wonderland, he just dropped down on his knees right in front of me and his guitar was 12 inches in front of my face as, as he played. And it was unbelievable. And it, impulsively, I couldn't believe, I put my hand on his knee while he was playing. He was, cause he was just right there thinking security was going to throw me out or something, you know, but they didn't and He just let me do that. So I could actually feel the song through his knee into my hand. You know, it was, um, it was, it was something I, I, I cannot forget that if I try, he actually threw me his towel after the soul. And I kept that towel for 20 years, just because it, it was my brush with greatness. But um, honestly, though, just across the board, I was, so impressed with the fact that they didn't let the disappointing size of the crowd stop them from just really giving it a workout. It was really something to see. So that was the last chance for me to see them until the um, until the journey tour. And then I saw them on the journey tour in Asbury Park, um, Leesburg, Virginia, Pittsburgh, Aspen, and Jacksonville at the very end. So um, I, I didn't wander quite as much as that tour, they seemed to just sort of get in the bus and just wander all over the country without much purpose. It's <laughs> a reason it seemed like. I can, never follow, I can never follow the pattern of their tour, but I was able to pick them up a few times. Um, and that was really interesting, too, in a different way. So that was with um, Derek Still on Bass at that point. And I really love the fact that they would take the old song, new song, old song, new song set list. And I know for a lot of folks, The Journey is, is sort of a controversial album, but I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And I thought the, the then new stuff stood up very well with the old stuff i thought it sounded great i was i was really hoping they'd make a go of it i mean you know mike has so many other things he does that that was never going to be a full-time concern but i was really hoping that lineup would be able to stay so i haven't seen the current lineup yet with simon next um, question yeah uh, yeah haven't had a chance yet so that's next on the the bucket list
0: excellent excellent do you have a, a favorite album or era of the band Uh, Well, you know,
1: at the start and at the finish are my favorite parts for them. Steel Town is still my favorite album by any group. Um, Those first three songs actually made me stop playing guitar altogether because it was just so phenomenal. um, I kind of have a tradition every time a big country album comes out, I go off and listen to it for the first time by myself in the wilderness somewhere. And so when Steel Town came out, that would have been October '84. Um, I had a a little MG Midget, if you know what those cars used to look like, a little bitty convertible. And so I went up into the Colorado mountains, put the top down, stuck it, held off opening up the cassette the entire time as I drove up there and then stuck it in the player. And those first three songs just absolutely blew me away. And they got into the fourth song, Where the Rose of Sonos good, but I needed to go hear those first three again, so I had to rewind the tape, and I listened to those first three songs over and over and over for hours, and, you know, at the time, I just, I'd never heard guitar work like that in my life. It was, it was, the musicianship was just stunning to me, and I thought, well, I think I told the story on, on The Great Divine, but um, I just got to the end and said, well, what am I even doing here playing guitar? I mean, you know, this, this is, this is, this is unobtainable, you know, um, and I, someone else is already doing that music. Maybe my job is just to listen to it. But um, so, you know, I've, I've gone on record as saying that Steel Town is the greatest thing that human beings have ever accomplished. So I have to say that's my number one. But I would say that um, I thought the late period work was, was very. I thought Driving to Damascus was very interesting. And um, two of my f- probably five favorite songs come from the very end. Um, Fragile Thing and Sleep There Till Dawn are probably two of my five favorites. But nothing will grab me the way the first two albums, and to a lesser extent, The Cedar did.
0: Very good. I've got uh, a couple of comments here. Um, oh. Sammy Russo said he was at the same show in Pittsburgh, the altar bar, oh, really? in 2013. And there's a question from Stuart Mangies. Uh well, He see. says, if, if Arlen was to send a, B, a big country song into space, what would it be, and why?
1: Oh, wow! That is a great song. A great, a great, um, great question. Um, I would have to say "Pink Marshmallow Moon," just because of the just because of the of the lyrics. No other reason. And for the to, um one, that um, for the Pittsburgh show, that was actually in an old church, done up very gothic style. That was a very interesting, interesting show too. So, that Pittsburgh show was a good show. But I'll go with Pink Marshmallow Moon, Stuart, for, with a lack of creativity with it. You know, NASA does actually have a history of sending audio recordings or even records in the old days on their missions, you know, especially the ones that leave the solar system. So that's that's an interesting idea. Maybe you could sneak on a USB flash drive or something and put some big country in space. You ought to do oh, it. I'll work on that.
0: I'll you ought to do it. it. Uh, <clears throat> interesting Pink Marshmallow Moon. Interesting choice. There are some songs that are that are generally loved across the board, and some that are quite polarizing. That's a that's a polarizing one. Why do you think Pink Marshmallow Moon is such a polarizing song?
1: Well, that's a really good question. Um... I suppose because it doesn't fit. Everyone brings to the table what they hope to hear from Big Country. And people will hear the same song and listen for different things. I would I would expect that one great thing is also a polarizing song with folks as well. But if people don't like it, I suppose the maybe it's because it's too conversational and it sort of heralded that late sort of storytelling style where the songs were um, just more about people who look for those songs that spoke of eternal things of longing and um, sound like they could have been written in the 1700s, you know, if they had to have been, um, maybe it's sort of jarring to go from that sort of um, that style to more the conversational storytelling style that Stuart adopted, you know, in the nineties. But um,
0: so you find that that's one that's controversial. Absolutely. Absolutely. Really? People, people love it or hate it. It's usually, I I see a lot of people saying that it's their least favorite on on the Buffalo Skinners.
1: Wow. Okay. So yeah. what what other what other what are the other controversial ones? Like I, I know one great thing has to be mm-hmm. one of those.
0: I think on the next album. Excuse me for a second. On the next album, I think um, Charlotte's probably another one. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's it. Charlotte I, I really love, but uh, I, I and it baffles me why a lot of people don't.
1: I dislike Charlotte enough that when it came out, I actually burned it, selected that, deleted it out and reburned it. So my version of Why the Long Face doesn't even have Charlotte on it. So
0: it's a, so I, I under I
1: understand it's we, we all bring different things.
0: That that's like saying that the only cover of the crossing is the red cover.
1: <laughs> there well, is I'm only
0: one cover of the crossing, and we know what colour is the true colour for the crossing. But it's a Okay. what What are you listening to these days?
1: Well you know it's um you know Spotify has really just opened up everything now so you can just listen to uh, to everything all the time so you know I don't the older we get, the less we tend to focus on just the the 10 or so albums we have at a time when we're young you know this year um, surprising me a little bit is I've really been um, I think 2020 has really been the year of the female singer songwriter. The, the, the most of the top albums that I've really liked this year have been from female singers, uh, the Fiona Apple one, um, the Phoebe Bridgers one, um, Hames, women in music. Um, I mean, I even, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but the Taylor Swift and Dua Lipa ones are really good. So, um, the Chrissy Hind had a great pretenders album that came out this year. So I think for me, this has been the year of, um, of women singer songwriters really as been the most creative stuff that I've been hearing how about no. you it's been a while since you've been on here what are, what are you listening to now
0: ah oh, it's it's very very interesting we um we're, we're, kel and i have been on the road with the kids uh for the last few months which is why we've been uh sort of out of sight a little bit uh, uh especially in in this neck of the woods um but our musical tastes are so different um hmm. we and it's interesting you mentioned Spotify too because uh, uh, I put together some playlists on Spotify and I've got one called Kelly and Dwayne's Cruise and Tunes. So I've got one of her songs, one of my songs, one of hers, one of mine, and I've been surprised of some of the songs that Kelly listens to because she's a, she's a doof-doof person. Like I've always, you know, a doof-doof, you know, the club music. Oh, um, got it. Um. <laughs> And I've been surprised that she's actually chosen to listen to some songs like uh, Def Leppard, Pour Some Sugar On Me. Um, That's on our playlist. So I've been listening to a bit of Def Leppard. She even puts on, she's even chosen um, Guns N' Roses. So I've been absolutely pleasantly surprised by some of the cool 80s music that Kel's been uh, choosing for our playlist and uh, just going back and listening to some of that old, also a bit nostalgic been a bit nostalgic this year so i was looking
1: off screen because i was you know you've made that playlist public and so i was pulling it up and, oh, have uh, and <laughs> you were talking and i'm looking at it right now so that then brings in some some i was wondering because the tastes were so different as i looked down that i wondered all about that so so now i can play the game of guessing which ones are yours and which ones are hers okay that's it so the clatu is definitely you Porcupine Tree is definitely you. I'm going to say Kate Bush is you. Yes, yes. Um, I'm going to say Kiss is you. Yeah. I'm going to say Backstreet Boys are not you. Correct. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say Owl City. I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to say Owl City is you. No. No. Okay, I'm, well then I give then I'm done, but that's you may not know that your playlists are that your playlists are public.
0: I might have to go in and change those settings. I didn't know it was uh, yes. public, but anyway. <laughs> and um, some of my suggestions you've been having a having a listen to have you? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's one thing I don't want
1: to take too much of the time up here. But when you did your first trial episode, you know one of the things that hits me is that so many big country fans seem to come to it from Prague music, and Prague is one style that i've really had trouble really immersing myself in it's um, um the musicianship's fantastic you know it's absolutely fantastic but i just don't seem to get to it so i was so you know, so from your um episode you did uh with with tom your your kickstarter if you will um I, so you'd mentioned you name drop klaatu porcupine tree and king crimson and i definitely listened to all three of those um i probably King Crimson was the easiest for me to to get into. But so for those of us who don't know Prague, but actually would like to, to ease into it a little bit, do you have any suggestions for us?
0: Ooh, what's what's the
1: starter pack for Prague?
0: I would say the most commercial and the one that everyone would, would know more than any other would be probably dark side of the moon. So if you, if you, want to try a taste of commercial prog, um, that's the album to go for. Definitely not. It's probably one of my least favorite Pink Floyd albums because I have heard it so much, uh, much. and it's so polished and mm-hmm. it's that polish that makes prog a little bit less prog because if, if you want to hear a true prog album, you want to be able to hear something different every time you listen to it and that's a little bit hard with dark side of the moon whereas Mm -hmm. if you go to an earlier pink floyd album something like amagama um, there's like a 23 minute track on there called echoes Uh, okay i think it's amagama pink floyd fans will shoot me down now if it's not the album but echoes is the track that i really love and if you listen to that that's probably a more pure example of prog than anything on dark side of the moon
1: Okay. Okay. But
0: usually in the 70s you'll get a you'll get a trio of classic prog artists you'll get King Crimson, Genesis and Yes all mm-hmm. lumped into the same thing. Then you'll get Pink Floyd um they're kind of on their own. I don't know why, but this is just my head. I could be wrong, but Pink Floyd sort of in a class on their own, slightly different to those to those other guys, but um King Crimson's an interesting one because uh, They were the first prog truly prog band that I was introduced to and and fell in love with. And you were, you were listening to that album earlier, Lark's Tongues in Aspic. It's my favorite album from the 1970s, but it's not the one that people say you should listen to. They say you should go back and listen to in the court of the Crimson King, which was right in 1969, which has almost a completely different lineup. It's got Greg Lake on lead vocals um, who was only on the first album. Then he went on to, join emerson lake and palmer Um, after that uh they say that's the one to listen to probably they say that's the first big mainstream prog album um but if you're wanting to listen to something more modern well yeah definitely porcupine tree probably not my favorite porcupine tree album which is fear of a blank planet that is it, it's one of those ones that I would take into the forest and listen to by myself, <laughs> uh, like, like you did with steel town. Um, but probably in absentia uh, their 2002 okay. album is probably the most accessible one of theirs. Um, but oh, they've got a long history, so it's, it's hard to choose. There's also a Polish band called Riverside, which I, I really rate highly as well. But sadly they're guitarists at, died at the age of 40. So very young. Um, and I think they've released one or two albums since then, but it's just never quite been the same. He was such an integral part of the the Riverside sound. So yeah, give them a try. If you, if you wanted to try something out of, out of Poland, really, really cool. Yeah.
1: Now if you're listening to Prague, do you need to make the commitment to listen to the entire album, you know, or you you really don't want to just put a, a Prague album on shuffle right? And have it just pop up a song at a time. It's not a singles based style of music.
0: When I put this out, I'm going to bleep you when you say put a <laughs> prog album on shuffle. That was just outrageous. You do not, do not listen to a, to a prog album bits at a time. It's, a, it's like looking at a painting. Do you just look at the corner of the painting? Mm-hmm. You've got to look at the overall picture and that's what you do with uh, with a prog album. In fact, most truly classic albums have like steel town for me is like that steel town. I can't pick, I find it very difficult to pick a song off that and just go, Oh, I'm going to listen to that song. I don't, if I pick up steel town, I listen to the full thing from start to finish. It's supposed Mm -hmm. to be those 10 songs. Um, I know there's sometimes talk about changing one or two of the songs and putting one of the other demos in, but, but yeah, if whenever I listen to steel town, it's gotta be Mm -hmm. from start to finish. Uh, is there any other big country album like that? Probably
1: Buffalo, Buffalo Skinners to me.
0: Buffalo, Buffalo Skinners is like that too.
1: To me, to me, um, you know, that I think you can, you can listen to no place like home out of order and, and you can even listen to driving to Damascus a little bit out of order. But to me, Buffalo Skinners is another one. You need to make the, you need to make the commitment and listen to it start to finish.
0: Yeah. And by the time you get to Chester's farm, you'd be tingling. That's uh, well, yeah.
1: That's yes. Yeah, if, if you, if you heard the demo version of Chester's farm, it's on the, on the new uh, out beyond the river. That version of Chester's farm is amazing.
0: Is that a new one we haven't heard before? Or has that been available somewhere well, else?
1: I hadn't. It's, it says it's the autocraft demo, audiograph demo. Okay. And so I, I personally hadn't heard it. So it was new to me.
0: I haven't had a chance to, to listen to all that yet. I've ripped it. I've ripped it to my phone, but I haven't had a chance to listen to it all yet. Um, yeah, so I'm trying to think of another another big country album that uh, is like maybe The Crossing is probably the closest one. Yeah, but Steel Town would be the if you want to yeah. if you want a prog big country getting as close to prog as they possibly can as far as albums go, uh, it would be Steel Town. As far as a song goes, it would probably be Boomerang. Uh, okay, okay, that's that to me. That's a prog track. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's. Any other questions on prog?
1: <laughs> no, that's, so I'll get back to you. This gives me some things to go off and, and learn because I've been wanting to learn for a while. It's just, I'm, I'm just, I'm surprised. Not surprised, I just, I note how much in the big country community, even with starting with Tony, how much prog seems to be um, the. You know, it's always interesting when you talk to big country fans is big country and what else do you listen to? And it just seems like big country and Prague comes up quite a bit, mm. And yeah. I can see that I can understand that better than I can big country and kiss. I have to say, you know, <laughs> I, I, thanks to Svine and Thomas, I've, I've gotten myself, I've, I've educated myself on kiss, but I would not have put those two together. You know, it should, for me, that the obvious thing was always big country and the, uh, the other, what they called the big music bands of the early eighties, you know, so, um, big country, u two, the alarm, simple minds and the water boys, those five, they all seem to be very much attuned with each other and very much, um, very um idiosyncratic and, and and individual type bands but all that came from basically the same vibe the same spiritual space but it seems like so to me it was natural to find other bands that i felt were in the same um, vein as as big country but it seems like so many other fans the their other favorite is completely different than big country in style and tone I've, i just find that very interesting
0: yeah i don't know what it is about uh, about kiss I'd love to talk to them about it one day uh the, the good thing about kiss though is it's a guitar band so it was one of those yeah. big loud guitar bands mm-hmm. um that big country was uh, and yeah. still is yeah. so and kiss is still going too aren't they they've they've only just stopped haven't they, they they did their final
1: yeah but he's yeah. fairly still going I actually i actually saw ace live with thomas because i was i was <laughs> Willing to make that level of commitment. So he was, um, Ace Fraley was playing a, a, a small venue over in Maryland and then Thomas made it over. And uh, give us, so give us a rundown we of that. I got a...
0: Give Go us ahead. a rundown of that, um, of that gig.
1: That was something else. That was my first time in the KISS universe, if you will. And so I was the youngest person there. It seemed like many, now Thomas will hate this, but it seemed like many of the people were still wearing the original clothes they were wearing in <laughs> 1979, um, including the belly shirts that no longer quite fit. But um, they, Ace really was fantastic. He was absolutely fantastic. And he had a, a touring guitarist with him named Richie Scarlett, who was the most... Um, high I've ever seen a musician on stage. I'm surprised his feet actually stayed on the stage. But he was really very good and just a sweetheart to talk to. We got to talk to him after the show just a little bit and even caught up to him at a, um, a 7-Eleven on his way out of town. But uh, I was very impressed. The guy can really play. He can really play.
0: Speaking of high on stage, Australian fans will probably remember a couple of years ago um, a support band for Big Country called Panic Room. They had a guitarist there that was just so funny. It was, um, bordering on embarrassing, but it was still, but it wasn't quite, it was, it was funny mm. enough that he got away with it. And, uh, yeah, he was, he was nearly floating too. So, um, Aussie fans will, will remember panic syndrome. All right. Alan, it's been, it's been great to chat with you. We might, we might wrap it up there. And that sounds, uh, that's it's a good been, question. That's been good absolutely question. fascinating. Uh, really appreciate you coming on and, uh, Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been great. Hope you can come on again sometime.
1: Well, and thank you for doing this. It's been really great to meet uh, some of the other fans too. You know, when you're a Big Country fan, it can be a very isolating affair. You think you're the only person in the world that actually really loves them. And so, you know, the, the online communities for Big Country where you can find other people with whom you can share these things you can want to talk about, that no one else ever wants to hear except other Big Country fans. And so this has really been great. I've, I've watched a lot of your other interviews with folks uh, and learned things about them. I would never have picked up just from their Facebook feeds or something. So thank you for doing this. It's been
0: a real pleasure. Thanks so much, Alan. I'll let you get back to your top secret activities.
1: <laughs> well, the things that I can't tell you about.
0: <laughs> take care, mate. All
1: right, take care. That's enough for me.
0: If you believe I own black and